Divorce Recovery Stories. I'm here with Laurie. Hello. Uh, Laurie, how old are you? I'm 41. And where are you from? From Salt Lake City, Utah. And again, this is where our audio cut out before. How would your friends describe you? So I think most of my friends would describe me as kind of the funny, silly, goofy one. I don't ever take life too seriously. I just always try and bring an element of just silliness to everything that I do and fun and laughter. Um, so yeah. You know what's interesting about that is the vibe I got from you, and keep in mind when I first met you, it was very much in passing, but you were very business. It was like, we're, we're here to do this. And you told this story that was very compelling. And that's why I asked you to come on. And, uh, but yeah, as the more I get to know you, the more I'm like, this is a very kind of laid back person, very friendly. So yep. it's interesting, right? You get to know people, first impressions and all that, right? Yep. Uh, how would your former spouse describe you? I guess that depends on what time period you're talking about. Um, if we're talking about today, I think he would describe me as a good mother, um, somebody that has always my kid's best interest at heart, um, somebody that's easy to get along with and easy to work with. Um, I He may even consider me a friend. So that's a description um, post-divorce. Post-divorce, yes. Post-divorce. Pre-divorce, it would have been something else. Probably. Okay. <laughs> okay. Well, that's interesting because I've said that to people as well, right? That sometimes my former spouse describes me as one thing. Sometimes I'm described as something else. But I say it usually depends on who's listening. Sure. <laughs> that's true. Fun situations of, of divorces. Uh, so where did you meet your former spouse? So we actually met at The Buckle, which is a clothing store in the mall. Oh. Um, I was working there and he came in with a friend of his and they bought, he bought some pants for me. Um, I didn't know it at the time, but he'd asked a coworker of mine for my phone number and then called me later and we ended up going out on a date. Your coworker just gave them your phone number? I know, right? Yeah, it seems a little <laughs> sketchy. I don't know about that. Like, she, well, she was a good friend of mine. Uh, we'd been friends since high school and this was uh, just post high school, so... Okay. I think she felt she felt safe enough and felt like he was an okay guy. But okay, so it was part could, of the vetting process. Yeah. So you were so it's right after high school, so around nineteen, I'm guessing. Um, yeah, nineteen twenty. I think I was yeah nineteen twenty ish. Somewhere like in that. there. Yeah. Okay. Was he older than you? No, I am actually a few months older than him. Oh wow! So really close in age. Yeah. That's cool. Okay. And how long were you married? We were married for 11 years. Wow, okay. So until you were about 31. Yep. 31-ish. Okay. And so it's been about 10 years since you're divorced. Yeah, our divorce was final in 2014. So yeah, it's been, uh, we're, we're approaching nine years yeah. here and then, yeah. So pretty soon you'll be divorced as long as you've been married. Yeah. How's that feel? Weird, but Weird. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, what what was being married like for you? Um, I think in a lot of ways it was everything I expected it to be. Hmm. Um, as far as you know, I really genuinely felt like I married my best friend at the time. Really. Um, I loved that he supported me in being a stay-at-home mom, so I was able to be home with my kids when they were little. Um, he was really helpful around the house and. Um, 
in that sense, I think it, it definitely fulfilled what I thought getting married and playing house would, would have ideally been like. Um, yeah. Obviously, we had challenges in our marriage that were not what I was anticipating. Right. Um, that led part. to the divorce. Uh, but initially, it was um, it was good. Okay. So initially, it was good. There's just towards the end, not so much. Um, I mean, it was like initially like the first, probably first couple of years were good. And wow. before we hit kind of our really first major roadblock. Oh, okay. And so, and I'm, I'm sure you kind of knew this question was going to come up. What was the breaking point? So he, I cheated on me multiple times and, um, the first one was after our son was four months old. Our very first, our first child, first son, he was four months old. That was when the first one happened, the first incident. Um, as a, a, we were members of a Christian faith, the predominant faith here in Utah. And um, so, you know, at the time we were both really committed to making it work and working through it and um, did all the things that, you know, we're supposed to do to, to work through those things. But I think as most people learn in life, a lot, unless you're willing to do the, the really deep work mm -hmm. um, that kind of produces some of these behaviors and some of the, the trauma and different things, unless you're really willing to deal with that, anything you do on the outside or on the surface doesn't really resolve the issue. So it ended up happening again oh, and again. And, okay. and, um, interestingly enough, in retrospective, after we got divorced, I really took a good hard look into myself to try and figure out, okay, well, where did, where do I get to own up to how I contributed to all of this? Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I can pinpoint some things like there, there were some, some things that, you know, sometimes I was too controlling um, in the sense that I, I like to know lots of details. I like to know all the details and I like to know exactly what's going to happen and when it's going to happen. And, um, you know, things like that where it, you know, I, I don't know that, I mean, I wouldn't say I'm controlling in the sense that like I was trying to control everything he did. That's not what I mean. I just okay. mean um, in the sense of, of um, feeling like I had control over, you know, what we were going to do with our kids and things like that. And um, maybe didn't involve him in, as much as I, I should have. Oh, okay. Um, you had an idea of what the marriage was going to look like and you were guiding it that direction. Yeah. It sounds like. And yeah. he probably had his own idea of what it should look like. Yeah. So this happened did you and, and you mentioned doing this work did you go to marriage counseling um we did try marriage counseling um i personally don't think it helped anything if anything it actually uh probably made it worse um but we were also stuck with a marriage counselor that was pretty new oh. and um i don't think was very well equipped to deal with what we were dealing with in our marriage and so um, it was, 
And when you asked me in what way did it make it worse, I think it made it worse because I don't think the marriage counselor really understood how to guide our conversations mm. towards healing. And so it ended up being a lot of blame. Interesting. Um, which again, I don't, I, I, I personally feel like it made it worse, not better. And just, you know, the reason I say interesting isn't because I'm trying to dig into the dark details of your life. Sure. I say interesting because I have said that exact same thing to people. Uh, when they've asked me about my marriage and about like, well, what do we get to, uh, you two into a room? Let's talk about this. Let's talk about that. Or did you try counseling? Why didn't it work? And uh, I've said similar things because no, it didn't help because the person who was guiding this conversation did not understand the situation. Right. And they thought they did maybe, uh, but they absolutely did not. So we did not end up getting to a place where anything productive could happen other than resentment. Right. Which was not great. <laughs> right. Uh, yeah. So looking back on it now, and, and you mentioned earlier having to own up to your own share of things, which I, I want to go back to that. But what red flags did you miss? Or um, maybe ignore? I actually didn't. Uh, okay. I'm, I probably missed some red flags up front. I didn't. Um, I was pretty naive. Uh, well, going, you were 19 and 20. Going, uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, we didn't get married until I was, I was 21. Okay. I think initially, um, going into the marriage naive. And when I say naive, I, I'm just going to speak openly. I think Please. that one of the biggest issues in Utah, especially around the, the predominant faith here is that nobody wants to talk about sex. Nobody wants to talk about what a healthy sexual relationship looks like. Mm -hmm. Um, you're taught your entire life that sex is bad and, you know, don't do it and just stay away from it until mm -hmm. you're married. And so you have all these people that go into marriage with like trauma brain because now they're trying, trying to be intimate with their spouse and they've been taught their whole lives that what they're about to do is bad. And it's, mm. it's, I think it, it creates, I've seen it create, it creates a lot of problems for a lot of marriages and um, intimacy issues because it's not something that is openly talked about. So I went into my marriage pretty naive and I knew what pornography was, but I didn't know, I didn't really understand how easily it was to access and uh, okay. how I, you know, there's like a huge percentage of men that have issues with pornography, especially here, in especially here in Utah. Like I just had no clue about any of that. So I talking about red flags, I think those were some major ones that in hindsight, I maybe would have asked some of those questions. I would have asked some, you know, how do you feel about intimacy and, and, you know, things in, in that regard. And do you have issues with pornography? You know, I would have asked some, some different questions if I, if I had known the questions to ask. Right. Um, but I, I keened into it pretty quickly. Um, at about, like I said, about the two year mark. Um, I'll, I used to tell people I had, I always had a sixth sense because I could always tell when he was actively in his pornography use, um, just by the way he would behave and, there would be times where I, for no other reason other than I can say the spirit would wake me up and just say, Hey, you need to go check. And, mm -hmm. and I would wake up out of a complete dead sleep and, and, you know, and things would be happening. So 
after that first instance um where he he actually stepped outside marriage um it i don't feel like i missed a whole lot of red flags after that it was just learning how to deal with them when they came up okay and do you feel that contributed to then the later affairs or was it more the well i mean i guess here's the thing that a lot of people don't understand with divorces it's never just one thing right right i've had i've had that question posed to me before well why'd you get divorced it's like oh well yeah let me sum that down into one sentence for you right that's that's about impossible and so i'm guessing it was a number of factors yeah that went into this it sounds like yeah that's a that's a difficult thing yeah and then there's also the culture of not talking about it uh-huh. that you mentioned which is also a thing or it's like, you know, there's all these steps that you're supposed to take to get it resolved. Um, you know, that that you're kind of guided down, you know, through your bishop or whoever. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, it's not really dealing with the internal deep rooted trauma that has happened now because this incident has happened Mm -hmm. it's just a okay you know you're not going to be able to partake of the sacrament for this long or you're not going to be able to you know pay your tithe i mean whatever it is and it's like you're punishing somebody and and i i guess i understand their reasonings why sometimes but you're not actually helping them to deal with why did they do this in the first place? Mm-hmm. And then as the woman that, that was on the other end of this, it was, I had to, to also navigate my own feelings around this. Okay. I've been married to this man. We've been sealed in the temple. He's supposed to be my forever husband. I, you know, I've got to make this work to keep my family together because families are supposed to be together forever. And so now putting myself in a position where it was like, okay, I'm willing to do whatever it takes, but I also wasn't doing the deep work. I was just going through the motions with him, right? It was right. like, okay, we're going to meet with our bishop and we're going to do this and this and this, and you know, it's going to be better. Um, and it wasn't. And then it was, I also went into a space of, he's the one that screwed up. He's got to be the one to fix this. He has to prove himself to me. He has to recommit. He, 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 he's got to do it all. And I realized in my retrospective reflection after we got divorced that that was the, that was a totally wrong approach. How does anybody heal from a decision that they made when their spouse is holding them in a space of you're bad, sick and wrong. You have to make this better instead of I'm truly we're still partners and we're going to figure this out together. Um, I don't think anybody can, can move past the perception that their spouse has of them as long as their spouse continues to have that perception of them. So I just thought he was the, you know, I, I put him in, held him in this box and perception of how could you do this to our family? And now Mm. you've got to prove yourself and fix it instead of, okay, hey, I'm your, I'm your spouse. I'm your partner. Like, I love you. Let's work through this. I said those things, but my actions did not reflect what I was wow. saying. So you said that you discovered all this after the divorce retrospectively. How long did it take you to come to that, to these conclusions? Um, in, 
Okay, so we separated in 2012 and he was going off to his next duty station and he just said, I, I don't want you and the kids to come with. I'm going to go. And so the kids and I stayed here in Utah and he went off to his next duty station. And then we were just kind of, I mean, we were still married doing this, this thing long distance. Well, he had come to the conclusion while he was on his own that he genuinely did miss me and the kids and, and wanted to try and make it work. So we spent the majority of 2013 trying to make it work long distance. So he was, he was still at his duty station. I was here in Utah and, um, I felt like we made a lot of really great progress. We were having very candid conversations with each other. We were talking through things and um, I felt better than I had in years about the possibility that we could make this work. And, and again, that was, that was most of 2013. Um, but then he came home in 2013, right before Christmas. And I knew something had shifted. Um, and he decided that he no longer wanted to be married and he was leaving me for this other woman. That he met at his duty station. That he station. met at his duty station. And so, um, and so when all of that went down, um, I spent a lot of time in tears, a lot of time hating him, a lot of time thinking that he was a monster, thinking that he was a horrible person. Um, again, holding him in this space of you are bad, sick, and wrong. I want nothing to do with you. And, um, but interestingly enough, regardless of what he did to me, I still recognize he's the father of my kids and I, I didn't want that to be damaged, but I did have to set some really firm boundaries as far as yourself. Um, as far as myself and even, uh, you know, the, even with the kids, because he was, I, I just don't think uh, at the time he was really thinking about what he was asking to do. Like he wanted me to put the kids on a flight across the country with no chaperone or anything. And like things like that, it's just like, no, the kids are going through this trauma too of mm -hmm. mom and dad are now getting divorced. They were still really young. One of them had never even flown before. I'm like, I'm not about to put them on a plane with no chaperone and just let the airlines handle it. Um, oh, God, let's see. At the time, they would have been three, five, three, three, six, and seven. Three, six, and seven or eight, something like that. So they were still pretty young. Yeah, they were really young. Okay. Um, so you didn't want them going on the plane. Uh, by themselves anyway. No, and he didn't seem yeah. to think there was anything wrong with that. But again, it was more, I think it was more just about, you know, how do I see my kids without having to actually face you or any of my family because of this decision I've made. And um, so I would say it wasn't till about 2016 when he decided not to re-up his contract with the Marines and he was going to get out and move back to Utah so that he could be a dad. And uh, this woman that he left me for, they got married and it didn't last. They got divorced after a year. And so I think he also just wanted some distance from that. So he got out of the Marines. He moved back to Utah. Um, 
And it was at that point that I realized, okay, it's one thing he's long distance. I'm here. I'm the primary caregiver for these kids. But now dad is coming back in the picture and I've got to figure out a way to make this work so that my kids can have the best outcome possible. Right. And that's when I really started to do the, the reflection of, okay, I need to own up to how I showed up in the marriage and where I went wrong right? so that I can heal. And by owning up to that, I actually sent him an email um, with no expectation that he would respond to me. And I just, I owned up to all of it. And I just said, Hey, Ooh. I recognize like we both made mistakes and these, this is how I understand that I could have shown up better and I could have been a better spouse and a better wife and apologized and just said, you know, left it at that. I, and again, he never responded, which was fine, but well, it, it was, was more, it wasn't so much for him. It wasn't, it was really more for me to just no longer, it really took me out of being the victim. Right. It was. That's important. Yeah. You know, it's. The people that I've talked to, and I know there's not too many episodes in the podcast, but I was talking to people long before I started recording it. The people who are able to move forward and get to a better place in life, they generally also take responsibility for the things they did wrong. Because you can't fix a problem until you recognize it's there. Right. And that's the thing about it. When you recognize it, you're not doing it for anybody else. You're doing it for you. You're recognizing that you are less than you could be and that you could be better. And you're trying to get somewhere better. So that's why I asked you, how long does it take you to come to that realization? Because I think that's a very, very important step. And when you're recovering from divorce, otherwise you are perpetually a victim of whatever happened to you. Right. And that's not a good place to be. Yeah. And even if the other person never changes, if you continue to be in the space of victim, Mm -hmm. like you said, you're never going to move past it. I feel very fortunate that my ex-husband and I were able to move past both of, you know, where we both went wrong and create the best possible outcome for our kids because he was also willing to as well. I get that not everybody is in that situation where they have an ex that is willing to meet them halfway. But I also think there is a, a very real energy that is carried when you continue to be the victim. Yes. And your spouse is, your ex-spouse is never going to see you any differently as long as you're carrying that energy with you. You're, you're not allowing them to see you any differently. Well, it's not just your ex-spouse. In my opinion, you, you tell me if it's different for you, but I think you carry that into every interaction with yeah. every person thereafter. I mean, into coworkers, bosses, uh, future relationships, friendships even. You know, you lose a lot of people after divorce. And I think especially that first year is really rough because you learn to shift your thinking in so many ways. And part of that is learning to show up as somebody other than, oh, I'm the divorced person. Yeah. And part of that is shifting away from that victim mentality, I think, right? Of This happened to me. Yeah. And I think, I don't know. Has that been, it sounds like similar. Oh, I, yeah, I agree. I see it. I used to be part of a, a Facebook group for single, um, single moms. And it was, I had, I couldn't be in the group for very long because it really, it was just woman after woman, just in, in their victim story, in their victim story. And yeah, I could see how it spilled over into their job and Mm -hmm. into 
their relationships with their family and into their friendships. And it was always just, I'm the victim, I'm the victim, yeah. I'm the victim, I'm the victim. Um, and so there was a few times where I would pipe up and I would just say, hey, you know, sometimes it's just about shifting your perspective and blah, blah, blah. And I would get attacked for really? for sharing my perspective and my perception um, and That's just just how it's helped me um, because there were there were a lot of women in that group that have that came from abuse situations. Right. And I I understand that that. I've never experienced that. So I, I get that that's probably a very different trauma to heal mm -hmm. from. Um, so I can't really speak to that, but I still think it, it holds true that you, even, even in any situation, you know, just being able to rise above that victim mentality mm -hmm. creates all different possibilities. It absolutely does. It absolutely does. I agree with you 100%. So, Okay, you went through all of this, and then you're, we, we took a big side trip, side, which was good. I loved it. Um, but so who actually filed for divorce? So I was actually the one that filed for divorce. Um, when we were working on things in 2013, I, again, had a very clear boundary. Um, I, I will say the two years after divorce, I was in therapy mm, and I had a wonderful therapist. Oh. Her whole focus with me was you got to set boundaries. You got to set boundaries because you're no longer in a relationship with this person mm -hmm. uh, as husband and wife, but you still are in a relationship as mother and father mm -hmm. to these three kids. And so she was wonderful and really helped me understand how to set healthy boundaries. Um, so in 2013, I set a very clear boundary and I just said, look, I am willing to make this work as long as you are. But if you cheat on me again, I'm done. So at this point, you had the paperwork ready. I didn't. So I didn't, didn't because we were still at that point in time. I was still very hopeful that we were going to be able to make it work. Really? Okay. But I was just making it clear to him that that was my boundary. And if, if he cheated on me again, I was done. Mm -hmm. So when he came home right before Christmas and told me, this was at Christmas uh, of 2013, and told me that he you know, was having an affair with this woman that he wanted to leave me for, um, it's interesting. I've thought about this question a lot. You know, if I didn't go and file for divorce mm -hmm. after I found that out, because again, I was honoring my boundary. So I was the one that went and filed for divorce, but I have thought many times if I had not done that, would he have, or yeah. would have, would it have just kept this like perpetuating behavior? And, and I, I don't know. Um, and it's not something that he and I have ever really talked about because I did go file the paperwork and we, you know, we moved forward with that. But see, one thing that you see a lot about today is, oh, well, women initiate most divorces, like 90% of divorces. Okay, but that doesn't mean, or maybe what's a good way to word this? I, I, because it makes it sound like it's all the women running away from marriage, which, yeah, sure, I'm sure there's those cases out there. But I also think, that women are better at recognizing when a relationship is over than men are. Yeah. Whereas with men, it's much more about responsibility. It's like staying at a job you hate. 
with men almost, which sounds terrible, right? And it is terrible, <laughs> but that's, that's kind of how we approach things. And so I think sometimes we need, and it, this is going to sound awful, I think sometimes we need the woman to go, no, we're done. Throw on the towel. Yeah. And I think that's why I, I'd be willing to bet, I'd love to see the numbers on this, but I'd be willing to bet that most women initiate the ending of relationships in general, be that marriage or just dating break. So how do you feel the court system, did it help or hurt your situation? So I think that's going to depend on who you ask, because right. um, I had a really good attorney. Uh, my sister's an attorney and she had a friend that deals, I mean, he does family law. So deals with a lot of divorce. And so she hooked me up with this, um, this lawyer, very good attorney. Um, and I, I walked away getting what I felt I needed to be able to continue to be mom to these kids. Um, there were things that I asked for that I, again, I'm super grateful that he agreed to. Um, I don't know if he agreed to it out of guilt uh, because of the situation that we were in or just because he re recognized that that was best for the kids. Uh, but one of the things was, is, you know, I'd been a stay-at-home mom up to that point. Our youngest was um, three years old. And so I said, I just, one of the things I asked for was I... I would like financial support until our youngest goes to school. And once she's in school full-time, I will go back and I will get a full-time job, which okay. I is what I did. But I didn't want to have to put our youngest in daycare. Mm -hmm. um, it was really important to me that, that she was able to get the same level of uh, mom right. <laughs> that my other yeah. two were able to get. And I think he recognized that. And again, I'm, I'm really grateful. Um, so I think initially the court system really helped me and helped my case. Uh, he might argue differently because I got full custody of the kids, both physical and legal, um, and got the support I needed to, again, be able to, to at least wait for my youngest to, to be in school. Um, when he moved back in 2016, uh, you know, the first, one of the first things he wanted to address was, okay, now that I'm back, I want to talk about getting our custody negotiation changed mm -hmm. and, um, you know, shared custody and changed the, the financials and all that, which I had no problem with. But again, setting those clear boundaries, I said, okay, I said, I need to know that you're going to stick around first. Hmm. Okay. And so we had just kind of this understanding that, hey, I want to make sure you're here, that you're really here. I think at the time, one of my fears was that, was he just going to meet another woman? And that was going to be his, you know, he was going to, that was going to be his priority. Right. Um, thankfully, that wasn't. After I, after, you know, a little time, I recognized, okay, he's here, he's present, he's, he's here to be a dad. Um, we went and renegotiated things and... So you did that all through mediation, not a nasty court battle, right? Correct. Yeah. That's nice. Yeah. That's great when you guys can agree and get on the same page and both of you need to be part of the children's lives. Yeah. Ideally in the same state. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, so that being said, your, your divorce then, it sounds like had a lot less conflict than a lot of others. How, how would you describe your divorce? 
I think, and again, I, I don't, it's hard for me to say anything than what I experienced. Right, right. Your perspective. Um, but again, I think when I hit that point where I knew he was going to be coming back, I made a decision right then and there that not only was I going to reflect and figure out, okay, what do I need to own up to? But also, as you mentioned before, I was, I was committed to, okay, what do I want the outcome to be? Mm-hmm. And at the time I had met um, this woman who was doing what she called ideal life vision. Um, and it's, it's just about, you go, you go through a, a series of questions and really trying to dig deep to figure out exactly what you want out of life. Um, I've done a lot of personal development and I can say, I think a lot of people go to these personal development events and they see what other people have and they think, oh, I want that. I want that. I want that. And they don't actually take the time to reflect do I want that because it looks nice and because they seem happy or do I actually want that for me? And so I see a lot of people just chasing after somebody else's shoes instead of figuring out what do I really want? What's important to me for some people? Money is really important and that's fine. We all want money. We all need money, right? You have to have money to survive. Um, you know, for some people they want, you know, fancy cars and fancy houses, or, um, some people want, you know, to be a number one top selling author or things like that. Um, so this ideal life vision really makes you dig deep and figure out, okay, do you really want this? Is this, it does this feel right for you? So I always give people the example of, I could say, I want to be an NBA player because they make a lot of money and they get to do something they love. I like to play basketball. They get to do something they love and, um, you know, why not? I'm, I want to do that. You know, so again, I'm, I'm chase, I use the term like I'm chasing after somebody else's shoes because it looks nice. Mm-hmm. And because I like to play basketball, right? Why couldn't I do that? Right? You can do anything. You put your mind to it. But if I actually dig in deep, I don't really want to be an NBA player or even a WNBA player because a, I may like to play basketball, but I'm not very good (laughs) and I'm not really willing to put in the work to, for what it would take to get to that level. So do I really want that? Yeah, it sounds nice, but no, I don't because I'm actually not willing to put in the work it would take to get that. So when I went through this whole process, um, and the very first thing I knew I wanted to figure out was, okay, what kind of relationship do I want to have with my ex-husband? And so I spent that whole first workshop I did with her just writing out exactly what I wanted. And it included, um, you know, that we respect each other as, you know, both mother and father of these kids that we come together, we talk about things, we talk about decisions, we don't make decisions without the other person. Um, We do Christmases together, we do birthdays together, because again, in my mind, I'm like, I see so many families where it's like, I wanna go spend Christmas at daddy's because it's so much better. I wanna go do birthday at mommy's because she gives me better presents or, you know, and it's, then the kids learn to just pit one parent against the other. And I wanted to avoid that. That's absolutely true. It was always this collaboration of 
let's do Christmases, you know, even if, you know, let's do Christmases together. We'll, we'll just divide and conquer, you know, get the lists and figure out and we'll divide and conquer and same thing for birthdays. And so I wrote all of this out and <clears throat> this whole co-parenting relationship that I wanted to create, um, that I wanted it to become my reality. And this whole ideal life vision is you've got to figure out really what matters to you and what are you willing to work for? Mm -hmm. And I knew I was willing to work for all of that. <clears throat> and so your behavior has to reflect, right? Just like, the, just like the NBA player. If I'm not willing to put in the work, then it's not really that important to me. Well, it's like you said earlier, right? Uh, or you say about how maybe you might say the words, but are you showing up that way? Right. So that's when I knew, after I wrote that ideal life vision, I will say that was actually the pivotal moment when I knew I needed to own up to all my stuff. Because in order for me to show up in this space, in this way, and part of ideal life vision is it's never about how the other person shows up. You write everything about how you show up and what you're experiencing as if it's already happening. So it's, I loved Christmas morning, um, watching the kids open up the presents at his house and being able to know that we came together and created that experience for our kids together in this space where our, you know, I mean, it's, but it's everything. It's all about how am I showing up and what am I experiencing? It's never about, you can't put expectation on how the other person's going to show up because right. you have no control over that. Right. And so that was the pivotal moment. I knew I needed to own up to my part of all of it. And as soon as I did that, it was like almost immediately things started to shift between us. Wow. And it wasn't, it, it did still take a couple of years to really get into a good groove and we still had some hiccups. Mm -hmm. um, I remember very distinctly, there was a situation where we met at the school parking lot. Um, I honestly don't even remember what the fight was over, but he was upset with me. He was yelling and cussing at me. And again, boundaries. And I just said, right. I, you, when you want to talk to me without talking to me in this way, then, then you can call me later, but I'm not going to put up with this. I got in my car and I left and, <clears throat> you know, so we still had some hiccups like that, but at the end of the day, it was always just about showing up in this space of this is possible and I'm going to honor and respect. So Every time the kids had an activity or something, because I had been doing all of this on my own for about four and a half years because we separated in 2012 mm -hmm. and it wasn't until 2016 that he came back. Right. Mm -hmm. So for about four and a half years, I was really doing it on my own, right. making all the decisions, getting the kids to all the appointments. So consciously it was like, okay, every time the kids have an appointment, I'm texting them. Okay. Hey, kids have this appointment. Do you want to go? Do you want me to go? I didn't really care what his response was. It was just, I wanted to include him. So right? it didn't matter if he got angry with you, if he cussed you out, if he said that's unnecessary, it had nothing to do with it. It was more about how you were showing up and what you wanted for your children and for your life. Correct. Wow. Um, and that's made the difference. It's and that was, that was all the difference. It was just actively behaving as if this was my reality. And slowly, I think as he warmed up to all of it and realized I had his best interest at heart. I had the kid's best interest at heart. I had my best interest at heart. I just wanted it to be a win, win, win for everybody. Um, and I think as I continued to show up 
in that reality, mm -hmm. the reality I was trying to create, he got less and less and less and less and less defensive and more and more and more and more and more cooperative. And now we're at a space where, you know, we have very lengthy conversations. You know, our kids are teenagers now and they're dealing with things and it's this, okay, how do we still continue to have a combined, a combined approach? Like our kids know that they cannot get away with, I'm going to go ask dad because mom oh. said no. Because if mom says no, they're going to go ask dad. And the first thing dad is going to say is what did mom say? <laughs> or vice versa, right? Like, so they know they can't play that game with us because it's always this united effort. Um, and so I, I really do believe that that was the difference. And it wow. just, his, his guard went down and uh, created this beautiful space now where we just always are working together for whatever is best for the kids. Yeah. So do you guys still celebrate Christmases and birthdays together? Yep. Like you go over to each other's homes? Yep. So it's just whoever's house it's at. Um, so this last Christmas, it was at his house. So I showed up at eight o'clock in the morning. I have a tradition with my kids that I make crepes every Christmas morning. So I took all the ingredients over to his house. We made the crepes. Wow. We did presents. So we did presents first. And then I always make crepes after presents. And then we all ate together. And then I went home and they spent the rest of the day with him. And um, if it's at my house, it's the same thing. Like he comes over, we do presents, we eat together crepes. And then he usually goes home or takes the kids so that they can go to his family's party and um, but yeah, it doesn't, That's really great. doesn't really matter. That is really great. You know, I think there's plenty of people and maybe not without good reason, you know, you'd end up pretty bitter, especially after things like affairs like that, living outside uh, the state, then coming back, asking for full custody. It's like so many reasons to have started a fight along the way. And you have made the conscious decision to show up in a way that's most positive for everybody. That is amazing. Really, that is awesome. <laughs> I, I appreciate you saying that, but it really, it's, it wasn't easy. I mean, I know I'm probably telling it like it was easy because it's just like working out. You know, if you don't do it, make that conscious decision to do it every single day, regardless of how you're feeling or what's triggering you or what emotions mm -hmm. are coming up. Um, it's really easy to slip back into the, the negativity. And so for a long time, it was a very conscious decision, just like I would decide to work, you know, if I was to decide to work out every day, you have to make the decision every single day that no matter what, and then it just becomes easier and easier and easier, right? It right. becomes a habit, just, just like, like anything. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And you don't dread it or you don't, you know, I dread working out. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> I'll get there. That's my next goal. <laughs> I'm sure you will, honestly, with, with that good of an attitude. And if you're sticking to it that way, I'm sure you will. Um, so I'm going to skip over some of these because I think you covered it. But I have to ask you this one just because I'm using it as a standard measure. Uh, and I'm going to guess yours number is going to be pretty good here because of what you've told me. But rate your divorce 1 through 10. When you say rate it 1 to 10, like, are you saying rate it on an emotional right. scale rate it on a Ooh, i hadn't even thought about the different uh like i guess in as a, far as how it's when i first came up with that question my thought was some people's divorces aren't that bad right you meet people who maybe they're a young couple they got married they get divorced a year later they had no kids it was just like a bad summer they went through sure right 
with other people, especially if they were married a long time, they had children, it was the most devastating event of their lives. So in that case, it's like it was one or negative one, right? But I've met other people who have, uh, years later, because they put in the work, they say, it was terrible as far as experiences of my life. I read that too. But I grew so much out of it that I'd have to give it like an eight or a nine. Yeah. And that's <laughs> so. honestly, that's probably where I'm at. Um, when I was in the thick of it, I, I was an emotional wreck. And it was the hardest thing that I've ever had to go through. I was in so much emotional pain over, you know, because I still loved him. And I very much wanted it to work. And I did get to a point where I asked God to take my life because I just didn't want to feel the pain anymore. Um, thankfully, I had my beautiful kids. And so that was not, I knew it wasn't, I said it, but it wasn't really something I wanted. I, I wanted to be here for my kids. Um, so I would say, yeah, in the thick of it, it was uh, emotionally, it was a zero. It was horrible on the other end of all of it and where we're at now and the way that we've both grown, I would say, yeah, like a nine. Wow. It's amazing, isn't it? It's because again, now you're not the first person to tell me that. As far as horrible things I went through, oh, absolutely. As far as how much I've grown, couldn't have gotten to where I am without. Exactly. Yep. Which is also not a, I don't want to recommend <laughs> divorce, right? So now let's start looking towards the future. Um, it's been, so it was 2016 you filed for divorce. 2014. 2014, that's right. Yeah. So yeah, we're coming up on 10 years now. Have you remarried? Have you started dating again? No. Um, Solid no on both. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> no question. Um, I have dated, you know, I have dated some here and there. Um, I'm really not in a rush. I, you know, I, as soon as my daughter was in school full time, I did go back to work full time and I've been working full time ever since. And between work and my kids and their different activities and stuff, um, I found very quickly that every time I would start to date somebody that uh, emotionally, physically, whatever, I wasn't giving enough to them because my priority was always my kids. I'm not opposed to it. Uh, I will say it's very difficult to find men to date. Um, I've tried dating apps. I've tried, I mean, I think this is probably, you know, where a lot of people, the space, a lot of people go. It's like, where do you meet anybody? Yeah. You know, I'm not, I don't go to the clubs or the bars. That's not right. my scene. Um, and it's just, it's hard to meet somebody. I, the dating apps are terrible. I hate them <laughs> with a passion. Um, but you know, I'm I'm open to the idea, and I think when the time is right, then it'll be right, and I'm not really in any rush. And that's funny you say that because I've had a, a couple people ask me, well, why don't you go on the local dating app for our area for people of the predominant religion? And I say, well, because I'd rather swim with piranhas. Uh, <laughs> it's true though like literally i would rather take a fork and poke my own eye out than yeah. continue to try and find somebody on one of these dating apps but it's really i mean i feel like those dating apps are really just one big ego trip anyway i think right are. you get on they there are. and it's like oh these people like me and then you're like, oh, but you're boring and well, you don't actually want to meet me in person. Yeah, so. so you're deciding on who to go on a date with literally off of one or two sentences and like six pictures. 
right? That's that's what you're basing the whole future relationship. Right. And whether or not you want to get to know this person. Yeah, I'm I'm a bit more old fashioned. I'd like to get to know people. I am a bit notorious for dating my friends, which is not good either. <laughs> yeah. I I think that's a better way to go, personally. Because yeah. well, that goes into my mentality on what I think a date actually makes up. I don't like the dating app approach. I think no. it's very superficial. I think yes. you're very likely to end up with something that you're not going to enjoy in the long run. Now, I have met people who have gotten married who met on dating apps. Uh, I, yeah, two or three successful relationships. But I'd say they are more the, the exception than the rule. Than the rule. Oh, for sure. Yeah, absolutely they are. Um, okay, so you don't really date, but it sounds like it's more of a time issue. Sure. Yeah. You have kids at home. And I think that's true of most single parents. Right. Same thing with me. Actually, I was talking to a friend uh, about this. It's like because she was dating this guy and I'm like, OK, this is this is going to sound like a total ego trip. Maybe it's a guy thing, but I'm comparing this guy to me and I'm going, what's this guy got that I don't? Because about the same age, I make more money. I think he, he looks good looking, but I look good looking. We're about in better shape. I have less kids. We're both divorced. What's the deal? And I need friends to be very upfront with me. And thankfully, this friend knows this. And she looks at me. And she says, he has more time than you do. And I'm like, you got me there. There you go. You got me there. I do not have time ever. <laughs> it's when you're got kids, what do you get? Yep. One or two nights a week to yourself? Yeah. Right? Maybe if that. That's fun. Um, but you said you weren't against it. You are open to getting married again. Yeah, Okay. absolutely. Now, here's where it gets a little tricky, though. Under what conditions? Because especially people who've been divorced, a lot of times I see they're open to getting married again, but only if X, Y, Z. I don't know that I necessarily have an only if. I think it's just uh, if it's right, it's right. Really? I think, you know, I think if you have two people that genuinely want to be together and they're willing to put in the work, I don't, I don't know. Um, I mean, he can't be like in prison or anything. Like that's probably a, a hard deal stopper for me. Okay. <laughs> I could see how that'd be a roadblock. <laughs> how do you get to know somebody in prison? I I mean, I, I guess there's I got people, no reason to lie to there's you. There's people that. that do it. I mean. <laughs> I don't know anybody. In, I've never met anyone in prison, but I'd imagine that you would get rid of a lot of the pretense in yeah. that situation, right? Like, you're already in jail, man. What are you going to lie to me about now? <laughs> At least that's my guess. Um, and you said this. So your former spouse is remarried. He was. He was. Then separated. And then divorced. So I'm. I have to ask, how did that affect you? Actually, I think it affected me in my favor because he went from me where, yes, I'm human and I'm flawed, but I'm, I think I'm a good person. I'm fairly rational most of the time. And I really, even at that point, was still trying to, I wasn't putting any roadblocks for him to have a relationship with his kids, like some people do in their divorces. This woman that he got married to um, was a narcissist and definitely targeted him oh, man. and was crazy. 
I mean, really just, I mean, talk about completely isolated him from everything uh, intentionally. Got and his friends, isolated Oh, his yeah. Family. Yeah. Oh, man. Uh, and rough. even, even, even to a certain extent, his kids, because the kids were young enough that she didn't want him to have to call me to talk to them. But um, that was really the only option because yeah. they didn't have their own. I mean, they were young enough. They didn't have their own cell phone. So it was like, he had to call me to talk right. to them. Um, so I think that, I mean, thankfully that didn't last very long. And even more thankfully, they didn't have any kids together. So he could really just cut ties and, and walk away. I think going from me to that made him realize really quickly, oh my gosh, it's not so bad here. Yeah. I probably, you know, I mean, I still don't think we're good together. We're great right. as co-parents. Um, but I think he realized, oh, okay, my ex-wife is not. Gave him some perspective. Uh, yeah. So I actually think it worked in my favor. When I call her crazy, well, now I know what crazy really is. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. And now, you know, it's nice because, again, because of what we've built over the years, um, when he goes on dates with people, he tells them, I mean, he has his own boundary. He says, hey, just so you know, I have a really good relationship with my ex-wife. We work very well together. If that's a problem for you, you need to tell me now because I'm not going to budge on that. Right. And he's very upfront. Like he doesn't want to date anybody that's going to try and come between that. That's fantastic. Um, which it, it is. I It speaks volumes that, that that has at this point now become a priority for him to... Yeah to maintain what we have built. That's good. I, I was half expecting something come up. Well, I felt jealous. I felt betrayed. No, this worked out fantastic. That's great. <laughs> That's good to hear. This just helps people to hear these stories like, it's okay, look, you'll recover. It'll be fine. Um, so at this point, I have an idea of this in my mind, but I want to hear this from you. Do you feel you've recovered from your divorce? Or are you still recovering? I think I have recovered maybe 80%. And when I, the reason I say 80% is I, I know that there is still some healing that I need to do um, in order to be ready to be in another intimate relationship, marriage, all of that that entails. Um, and you know, again, I think when the time is really right, I'll, uh, I will do that. I mean, I'm continually doing that work and recognizing where I still have, um, you know, trauma in my body and different things that I need to release. Um, but there is still, I mean, I will admit there is still a little bit of fear that, you know, I don't ever want to experience that again, right. ever. And, um, you know, but That's I would, normal. I would say I'm, I'm probably 80% there. And when I'm a hundred percent there, it's like, I really feel like he's just going to like walk into my life. Right. And I'm going to be like, <laughs> it's going to be kismet. <laughs> just it worked out great. Not a problem. <laughs> he sailed off into the sunset on his yacht. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and I think that to a certain extent, you never fully recover because part of it is giving up that part of you that was so naive, right? Right. 
You know, there's a part of you that missed things for sure. And there's a part of you that wasn't showing up the right way for sure. And those are things that you don't want to repeat ever. Right. And so I'd say 80% is pretty good. Yeah. Well, and I also recognize that I'm not in a space to get in a relationship because I know when it comes to where I delegate my time, Mm -hmm. my time goes to my kids, my job, because my job supports my kids. Right. And then I have my me time. And beyond that, I know that I don't have a lot to give somebody. And so it really wouldn't be fair for me to get into a relationship knowing that I'm not willing to give 100% to it. Right. It's very hard when you're a single parent. Yeah. It really is. It's almost like you have to block everybody off right away. Well, you know, potential romantic partners, block them off right away or really full speed ahead this right away so you can hurry up and get married and start spending more time together. Uh, or the option, which people like you and I seem to be opting for, is, well, wait till the kids are gone. Yep, but they're grown up. <laughs> yeah, and then it's like, oh, well, but now I'm not good looking anymore. Yeah. Not sure. But I'm still working that one out. It's <laughs> <laughs> talking about me that time. <laughs> so what have you learned? How, oh, God. I'm sure a lot. I'm sure a lot. But just so people get an idea, like, this is part of the part of the growth. Sure. I'm sure there's things that you've now you're better, you're wiser, you're smarter. But in, in what ways? Yeah, um, I think one of the biggest things I learned and it's interesting you asked me this question because this actually just popped up on my Facebook memories from a post I made in 2017. So a year after he had moved back to Utah. Um, people go into like when people fall in love with each other and again, here in Utah, it's, it's very standard for people to fall in love and get married very young. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, I think in retrospect, I don't think anybody really knows who they are or who they want to be at such a young age. Um, but I think the most impactful thing that I realized you can't go into a marriage thinking that the person you are marrying is always going to be that person. We all change and grow. And as we go through different experiences in life, uh, whether it's through the loss of a parent or the loss of a job or becoming a parent or, you know, going through some rocky things in your marriage, like whatever it is, those experiences change you. And well, you're always going to be foundationally who you're going to be, you're not to have the expectation that the person you fell in love with when you were young and dumb is going to still be that person 10 years down the road. You're just setting yourself up for disappointment. So you have to be willing to learn and grow and give the other person the space to be who they need to be to you know, work through whatever they need to work through and also give yourself the same space, right? Um, I think even as co-parents, recognizing he is definitely not the same person that he was when we first got married. I'm definitely not the same person. Mm-hmm. But can we always find this common ground? And I really think that so many people, when they're going through the thick of, of the problems in a marriage, Are they stopping to think, 
how can I honor this person in the space that they're in right now and, mm. and the changes that they're going through without holding them in a space of, I want them to be this way because this is what I fell in love with. Yeah, that's huge. Um, that's um, just one thing. Gosh. I mean, there's, there's a whole gamut of things, <laughs> but I do, I do think that um, if I could give any advice for anybody that is maybe on the verge of divorce or uh, in the thick of it, just recognize that nobody is the same person today that they were yesterday or the day right. before, the day before, the day before. And don't hold yourself or anybody else in this, in this space of being who you think they should be. Because again, I, I used to say this thing like expectation is the fastest way to dis disappointment expectation mm -hmm. of how somebody else should show up in your life or how they should be or who they should be is the fastest way to set yourself up for disappointment. Um, instead it's don't hold any expectation and just, you only have control over what the way you react and the way that you want to show up. And that's, again, that's where I felt like I had control and that's what I focused on was, okay, how, how can I show up differently? And that's made all the difference. It's made all the difference. How do you feel about your future right now? Oh God, my future is full of possibilities. Um, I mean, if I'm, if I'm being honest, I do sometimes wonder if I ever will find that next someone. Um, I used to be really judgmental of people that could just bounce from relationship to relationship to relationship. I never understood that because uh, that's never been my personality. Um, and then I realized, wow, good for them that they can open up their heart hmm. so quickly, you know, after going through a, a relationship and a breakup. But yeah, I do sometimes question, you know, um, will I ever find that next somebody? I'd really like to. I'd like to find somebody that I can grow old with and um, share my time with, you know. Uh, but I still think my future is full of all sorts of possibilities. I've got three beautiful kids and um, hopefully they'll grow up and possibly give me some grandkids. And even if they don't, you know, I'll travel or I'll, you know, yeah. I think, I think my life is and anybody's life, really, it's whatever you want to make of it. So if you were to rate your future right now, 2023, March one through 10, I'd rate it an eight. That's pretty good. Yeah. That's pretty good. That's very positive. Yeah, that's good. I'm guessing that you in 2014, 2000, maybe not so much 2016, but in 2014, that first really hard year, you would not have said that. Oh, heavens no. In 2014, <laughs> I probably would have rated it like a two. Yeah. This yeah. is, and this is what I want people to see is there's that life after divorce. Yes. Right. That first year is awful for everybody. But after that, so much better. It's like everybody says the first year of marriage is always the hardest. Well, so is the first year of divorce. Yeah, right. <laughs> so, well, that first year, I mean, you're going through, you're experiencing all of these negative first, that first year of divorce, uh, first Christmas alone, right? First time visiting relatives and some of them don't know the news and you're having to break it to them 12 times, yep. right? There's all of these negative, all of the first Valentine's alone, 
right? All those things. Now, <laughs> last Valentine's Day, I was so happy. I was like, oh, right. I get to just stay at home and relax. My son wrote me into cooking for he and his girlfriend. <laughs> Still don't get the day off. <laughs> yeah. That's how these things work. Okay. Last question. Okay. So feel free to think about it. Take as long or as little as you want. What do you wish people knew about your story? I genuinely wish that people could have what I have with my ex-husband. Um, again, not to say that it was easy and it was a lot of very conscious decisions day after day after day, but it breaks my heart to see, I mean, divorce is, I think at like 60% now, which is huge. So 60% of marriages end in divorce and, um, it breaks my heart to see kids that end up in the middle of these squabbles and these hurt feelings that their moms and dads are not dealing with or willing to deal with. And then they just want to keep fighting and because the people that really lose in that are the kids. Absolutely. They get stuck in the middle. If, if I could, if I can help anybody, which by the way, I am an, an, I'm not, this is not a plug for my business or anything you like that. Cause I actually don't do this business. as business, but <laughs> I am a certified ideal life vision coach. I know how to people, I know how to walk people through the process of helping them see the perspective for what they're currently seeing it and how to shift it so that they can actually create what they want. Um, because if I could help even just one couple have what my ex and I have, you both get to this space where you're like, man, this is so much better than if we were just fighting all the time or if we were just always at odds with each other mm. and um, not always putting the kids first. I think we've both realized like, man, this is, this is great. If we're going to be divorced, this is the best way to do it because I have my time when he has the kids and I can have my me time and my girl time and, and take care of me and vice versa. And, um, just always this collaboration of, you know, we share all the expenses, we share everything because we share the kids. Um, but just that it's possible and, but it's possible. You got to start with you. And again, I, I recognize it doesn't work for everybody because it does take both people to choose in. Um, but you got to start with you. You know, I, I always think of the Michael Jackson song, I'm staring at the man in the mirror, asking him where he can change or however those lyrics go to change his ways, right? You got to stare at yourself in the mirror first and ask yourself, how do I change my ways? How do I change what's not working for me? Uh, Because as soon as you do that, and as soon as you start making those decisions on a daily basis to show up differently, the energy changes, what you attract into your space changes. I mean, everything just starts to shift. And I have seen again in my own life and even in other people that have, have done similar things like ideal life vision or ideal life vision and creating similar situations where, you know, getting, getting again, it's called, it's called ideal life vision because it's like, how do I create my ideal life? Right. And it doesn't mean, ideal life of I'm going to be rich and famous and have all this, you know, blah, blah, blah. It's what really matters to you. And what do you want to create that matters to you? 
Um, but it is possible and it can be done. And it really is the best outcome. Uh, if you can't stay married to the person, at least try and, and make it work as far as co-parenting for the sake of the kids. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I do want to give you a chance to plug your business. If you so, is there a website or an email or phone number you'd like to refer people to? There actually is not because okay. uh, I haven't done it in a few years. Okay, fair enough. But um, very much want to get back into it. I did. I love doing retreats. I'm going to start doing retreats again. Um, but I just really am passionate about helping people more than anything just shift their perspective. Because if you can shift your perspective that really can start kind of the domino effect to, okay, I, now that I've shifted my perspective, I can show up differently. Um, but yeah. Great. Well, Lori, thank you very much for being here and sharing your story. I know I got a lot out of it. Um, so thank you very yeah. much. Thanks for having me.